Where Dreams Come From is a podcast featuring successful people from around the world who have pursued their dreams to arrive at a station in life. I'm your host, Sanjeev Chatterjee. I'm a professor of cinema and journalism, and in my creative life, I make documentary films. I started this podcast to explore what it takes for people to follow their dreams, even while being true to who they are, at least who they believe they are. Almost four decades ago, while still in college in India, I played bass in a rock band. My guest today, Rahul Ram, was a bassist in a rival band. Then we lost touch. Until one day in the early 2000s, the song Bande by the band Indian Ocean for the Bollywood film Black Friday came bursting into the scene. Rahul Ram was ostensibly the band's front man. In our conversation, he outlines his various interests and how they got channeled and defined his music and life. Rahul spoke to me from his home in Nagar, Himachal Pradesh. Rahul Ram, welcome to Where Dreams Come From. Thank you, Mr. Chatterjee. Where did you grow up? What are your earliest memories? Oh, I grew up in Delhi. I am a Delhi born and brought up boy. I've lived in and around the North Campus of Delhi University all my life, except for a few years here and there, studying. I remember Delhi weather, I remember fog, I remember the heat of summer, I remember being asked to not go out and play at 3 o'clock and only let out at 5 in the summers. So many things, yeah. I, I, I remember the nimbolis, the fruits of the neem tree dropping and uh, as kids squishing them with our feet. That slightly sweet, slightly bitter taste of those nimbolis. I remember squishing feet in the mud when it rained. What seems to be early influences, do you think? Oh, definitely parents. And the whole, uh, you know, I, I grew up with a couple of academics as parents. In those days, like 68, 69, 70, you know, the student... Revolutions that were shaking the world also happened in Delhi University and so I remember coming back from school, uh, the bus letting us off a kilometer away instead of opposite the house and seeing a pitched battle between the police and the uh, students with tear gas shells being thrown back and forth. Interestingly enough, I grew up in a household which was, uh, my mother was from Bengal, my father was from Karnataka. So there were a mixed region and mixed caste marriage in an era when these things were rare. So many things, man. I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's a whole flood of memories. The other thing is uh, about your academic uh, environment. The beautiful thing about my parents is that they were not the kind of people who would force you to sit down and study. It came naturally. Uh, I never uh, regretted studying. I liked reading. We were encouraged to read. The house was full of books all the time. No TV in India at that time. No cell phones, no nothing. So... You played with your friends and then you read. And then I, all through school, was an okay student. Neither great nor bad, reasonable in, uh, in studies. And my parents were okay with that. They were saying, yeah, okay, the boy's okay. Were there challenges early on in life that you had to overcome? Well, I lost my left eye in an accident when I was 11. You know, kids play with bows and arrows and mothers tell kids don't play with bows and arrows. It can hurt somebody. Well, I am a living example. An arrow went into my eye 
and so I lost an eye and till then you know as young kids are I was like I want to be an air force pilot and so on and so forth. So all those dreams of course went out of the window and there I was getting operations and being in hospital and uh, going under anesthesia and stuff like that at the young age of 11 and then going to try and get my eye to work properly which it never did. I didn't see things as challenges. I saw things as fun more than challenges really. You know I like I like worked quite hard at learning how to play the guitar and then I started playing bass in class 9 and I worked pretty hard at it but it wasn't a challenge it was fun. I was doing it because I was enjoying it. Do you see that as groundwork for who you are today? Everything is groundwork. I think you are influenced by every single thing that's happened to you. It has its place in your memory and it has its place in your formation of who you become and actually you never become you keep changing all the time even now with this so we've talked about throwing out the dreams of becoming an air force pilot uh, because of an accident then how did your vision if there was one for the future shape up so i had no vision i had uh, absolutely no idea what i was going to do when i was in school I liked our chemistry teacher and I, he taught me, uh, I got interested in chemistry though both my parents were botanists, life sciences. But I went into chemistry and I again had joined uh, one of the best colleges for chemistry in Delhi. And in the meanwhile when I was in school I started uh, getting interested in environmental stuff. So I learned a lot about environmental stuff, I did a little study on my own about pesticides because Delhi uh, in the 70s suddenly um, there was a study which said we had more DDT in our bodies people in Delhi than anywhere else in the world. So environmentalism was something I started doing really early. Sometimes we think that uh, the things that we do are normal for the entire rest of the world. I think as we age we realize that our own experiences may be a little more unique than we gave credit to. I agree, I agree. I, I, I realized my privilege a long time ago because I think my mother was a communist at heart and uh, I realized that I was privileged to be born in a middle-class family in India at a time where the middle-class comprised 5% of the population. I was born into an educated family. I was educated. I was uh, brought up largely devoid of caste issues. My parents tried very hard. I was uh, brought up largely devoid of uh, religious issues. You know, I mean, there was none of this, oh, Muslims are like that, or Christians are like that. None of that was there in my house. I was not rich, I was poor. In fact, I was so stupid that when I started earning money playing guitar in college, I used to come back home and give my mother the money and say, Ma, here's the money. And she was like, don't you want some? I said, yeah, yeah give me 20 rupees. It's okay. So I was a bhalo chale, a good boy. Your interest and engagement with the environment, was it uh, Rahul Ram the artist or Rahul Ram the scientist? It was Rahul Ram the kid interested in all kinds of things. And it seemed fascinating. I don't think uh, the music at that time had become that important in my life. So I was uh, more of an environmental guy before I became more of a music guy. And in college they were both uh, 
carrying equal weightage, though I had to give way more time to music. Because, you know, practicing with a band is something that takes a lot. I mean, here's my day. On a normal day in college, I would get up at 7.30, be in college by 8.30, stay in college till 3.20, catch the 3.30 special, uh, travel 25 kilometers across town to Dholakua, practice with the band till 7.30 at night, catch the bus back, reach back home around 9.30, walk the kilometer back home, uh, eat some dinner, study a little bit, go to sleep, repeat. So I am assuming that you're talking about your early band, White Fang. Tell us something about yes. it. Yes, yes. Okay, so <clears throat> it's quite interesting. I I, uh, I was in first year college when suddenly one day this guy lands up uh, near my classroom and says, hi, and my name is Amitanshu and, you know, um, we, we have a band and we'd like you to join. So when I was in school, I started playing bass uh, for a college group. They were allowed one person from outside, so I was the one person from outside. So it was quite interesting as a kid in the 11th and 12th, playing with uh, college musicians, two, three years senior to you. And I think that's where Amitanshu heard me. And then he tracked me down. And so I went and I joined the band and I had no idea. The vocalist, a uh, man called Gautam Ghosh, who you do know, had suggested the name White Fang based on that Jack London book, which I had not read. I had no idea about the book at all. And uh, so I joined, yeah, I joined White Fang in the year 1981. While I was in college, I played with four different bands, actually. So I played with White Fang in my first year in college while doing a musical uh, called Operama. It was like a rendition of Ramayana. So it was a three-hour opera. And then um, in my second year, I started playing in a band which was trying to do slightly jazzy stuff uh, with Doc Ope, who was a jazz guitar player and much, much senior to us. I learned a lot of stuff there. He introduced me to Cole Porter and the whole uh, Broadway musical and the amazingly complex, oh man, melodies and harmonies that these guys, Cole Porter used to use. So I got introduced to that. One of my... Um, Friends in school had introduced me to Return to Forever and Aldemiola and stuff like that. So, you know, you start listening to all this music and it blows you away. You start listening to, uh, are, what is that, uh, Frank Zappa and uh, so all kinds of stuff. And I, I remember as, as, as college and school kids, we used to be a little contemptuous of pop, if you would have it like that. So we were like, ABBA was hot, right? And we never played ABBA. We were like, oh, man. I mean, that's so not happening. And Pony M and people were like, no, man, that's not happening. Today, I love listening to them because it's like, you know, there is nostalgia without the weight. <laughs> that's the India phase as I see it. I think you went to the United States. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I will, though, talk about going to IIT Kanpur where suddenly uh, I had the toughest academic period of my life. It's a really hard, tough, rigorous place to study. Uh, I was in Kanpur suddenly in a hostel for the first time in my life, eating the worst bloody food I've eaten. I lost 12 kilos in the first semester, do you know? And uh, the music there was, you know, after playing with uh, two or three bands for two, three years in Delhi, no challenge because I was the best. 
and so i played with the quote unquote hindi music band and i played with the english music band and uh, that's where i started playing hindi film songs and learned a lot from that because that's a different skill i also worked very very hard academically um i used to keep running back to delhi because my girlfriend was in delhi and uh, everybody used to apply abroad in those days so i joined the herd except i didn't uh, want to do chemistry anymore i want to do to uh, environmental sciences i had a a gpa of 9.96 out of 10 in iit so i had one b plus out of 21 courses and um, my gre scores were spectacular it was 2380 out of 2400 and my uh, chemistry gre was 99 percentile 930 out of 1000 and so i applied to eight universities i got scholarships in six i chose one i chose cornell uh, a because i liked the department it was a department of uh, environmental toxicology because that would combine my chemistry knowledge with my environmental interests and also because both my parents had gone to cornell as postdocs um. so uh, tell me about about the musical uh, influences from africa uh, from latin america oh yeah yeah i mean you hear i had friends who said oh salsa night and i was like what is salsa and so that oh salsa merengue this and i never heard any of this and then uh, oh felakuti you know baba mal what amazing musicians what a different sound and i don't know chatty if you've ever tried to play bass with these west african guys but it's very counterintuitive to the way rock bass is played did you realize at that time that you were occupying a multidisciplinary space yes i did i realized uh, though the words were not there this this uh, this uh, nomenclature was not there but i realized that i was living several different lives at the same time i was having several different cultural experiences and uh, i'm i've never been a very introspective kind of guy i will tell you this honestly so i didn't do much introspection but it all i i i let experiences wash over me and they leave behind the silt of memory i'm just going to fast forward a little bit to going back after finishing my phd to join the narmada bachao andolan in india which is what i did immediately after going back you have india. to explain that for for the audience what right, the narmada right, bachao all right all right so this is how it happened my wife who's a sociologist chose to do her phd on a people's movement against a large dam being built in central india that was going to submerge the lands and displace about 40000 families so there was a large movement against the displacement i finished my phd she went off to india to do field work so i just packed bag and baggage and came back with her and uh, within a month some of the delhi supporters of this movement asked me whether i would like to help so i said yeah why not so i just jumped in and it was again transformatory and when i joined the narmada andolan i learned what it means to be on the, the receiving end of the axe of development i saw first hand what was happening to people i saw what happens to you when you try and speak up against the state 
I saw how narratives can be changed in the public domain. Why, why did you go to jail? Oh, apparently I attempted to murder somebody. And uh, this is what the state does. When you're trying to fight the state, the state will turn around and put cases on you and try and tie you up and scare you and uh, put you down. And I remember I was paraded in handcuffs throughout the town before I was transferred from one lockup to the other so that we would be ashamed. And uh, it was quite an experience. And I, I'm telling you, Chatty, at one point during that parade through town, we went through the town and suddenly we were in this very lonely place. There was a narrow lane, fields on both sides and trees, and there was a truck. And there were four men with guns and I was handcuffed to this guy. If at that moment those guys had shot us and said they were trying to escape, so they died trying to escape, there was nothing I could have done about it. That was a moment of pure terror. How did it, uh, the second chapter after returning to India in music, take off and uh, what uh, were you, I mean, you could have uh, gone and had a, you know, academic job or even a corporate job if you really wanted, but how did you return to music? Oh, I didn't want an academic job. I didn't want a corporate job. I, I knew that in the US with a PhD from Cornell, I could get a job as a consultant in, there are, there are so many environmental consulting firms where I would have been somebody who wore a suit and lied for my client. Oh, no, no, sir, my client has done nothing wrong, you know. So what was the trajectory of Indian Ocean after that? I mean, I hadn't played bass for four, four, four years. Got back into the groove and then I met uh, Shushmit, who was one of the two founder members of Indian Ocean, who came and met me and said, listen, I started a band. And I was like, really? And then he said, yeah, yeah, you must come home and listen, we've recorded a scratch, a demo. So I went to his house and I heard it and I was blown away. I said, wow, man, this is great. And he said, will you play? I said, I sure will play. And uh, so I joined Indian Ocean in 1991, February. And at that time, Indian Ocean made no money whatsoever. We probably spent more money going to and for, uh, from practice than we got from shows. I mean, I did one show in 1991. I did zero shows in 1992. So that's what Indian Ocean was like. So, uh, but I was having so much fun. Indian Ocean actually got an album contract in 1992. And we went to uh, Calcutta and recorded in the famous HMV studios in Dum Dum which was famous also because Rabindranath Tagore had recorded in the same studio. But that's about it. Otherwise, the equipment was pretty bad and the sound engineer used to start drinking at 11 a.m. <laughs> so we recorded our first album. It took HMV a whole year to bring that album out. And when they brought it out, they brought it out almost apologetically. They... No marketing, no nothing. Nothing. So we begged cassettes, that time it was cassettes, we begged 25 cassettes from them 
and got a friend of ours who was a journalist to write up a kind of press release and went and distributed it to all the music journalists in Delhi and started getting great reviews. So tell us about your role and whether all the things that you had collected over your lifetime in terms of politics, in terms of science, in terms of activism, in terms of environment, did those things play a role in how you defined yourself within the band? Oh yeah, of course. So I tell you, when I joined Indian Ocean, it was an instrumental band. There were no lyrics. There were no vocals. And I heard the tabla player Oshim singing and I was like, man, you are such a fantastic singer. Why aren't we singing in this band? And I want to sing. We should sing. So that's how vocals and then lyrics entered Indian Ocean. And in fact, um, I started bringing in songs I had heard in the Narmada Valley, not just from the Narmada Valley, but uh, from other people's movements across the country, started bringing in a kind of uh, environmental ethic and a sort of social justice, if you want it, sort of ethic into um, not just what we used to perform the songs, but what we used to say in between songs. I loved what we were doing musically. I loved playing. I loved being on stage. I was still poor. It's okay. It didn't seem to matter. I was living, uh, I was living a dream, man. So uh, we did music for a non-Bollywood film, uh, feature film, in 1996. But our first real serious film, Bollywood film, happened in in the year 2002. This uh, director, who's now a fairly well-known director, Anurag Kashyap, Anurag Kashyap came up to us and said he wanted us to do music for a film that he was making. 2003, I think he came up to us. And uh, thus we got to do music for Black Friday. And it was our first time in a big Bollywood production. Fantastic experience. Amazing director, amazing producer. That is the EP, the executive producer, both. One of the songs from Black Friday actually is possibly one of the biggest hits of Indian Ocean to this date. And I learned that 15 years of playing outside Bollywood gave me less publicity than that one song. You know, because when you do a song for a Bollywood film and they use that song in their promos, it gets played all over the country on every, on so many channels repeatedly, time after time after time. But that didn't mean that Indian Ocean suddenly said, oh, we must do only films. No, this was a one-off, but we loved it. And, uh, you know, a direct consequence is a whole bunch of more shows and getting paid more per show. That's how doing music for Bollywood helps. You get paid a lot more, not for the film, but in the shows you get because of the film song being a hit. So in Bollywood, somebody else tells you the situation of the film. Now the song in the film, you are asked to make a short song, three to four minutes. You are, <clears throat> you don't pick the lyricist, the lyricist is picked for you, the lyrics are picked for you. And 10 people will have the power to say yes or no over your tune. When we do music as Indian Ocean, we have only us to tell us whether we like it or not.
but I still would like to continue to do music for films where they come to Indian Ocean for the kind of music Indian Ocean can provide and not as a musician who can do everything. I don't want to be the musician who can do every single style. I'm not interested. Ram Ram, thank you so much for spending this time with me about your journey. The point I take away from this conversation with Rahul Ram is about the fun in life as it evolves. Perhaps the ability to accept the richness of experiences and their contribution to who we become while giving our all to whatever we choose to engage with is the secret behind living our dreams. Today's episode was edited by Scott Albaugh. For Media for Change, I'm Sanjeev Chatterjee.